0: NeuroPodcasters, a neuroscience podcast created for medical students. We hope you enjoy listening. Hello, my name is Sarah Healy. I'm one of the neurology regs working at the Wilson Centre and I'm here today with Dr Davies, one of the consultant neurologists. Hello there. Today on Neuropod Cases, we're going to do something a little different and look at what a typical cognitive clinic might look like. So go through a couple of cases um, in fairly rapid succession and just look at some of the, the okay. broad uh, syndromes that might might be seen, Dr. Davies. Mm-hmm. Do you have any tips about how you approach your cognitive clinics and, and what you mm-hmm. tend to go through before you That's see that. each patient? Yeah.
1: So one thing about cognitive neurology is that... Uh, it's working in a similar area of clinical need, but not exactly the same area as memory clinics, mostly in psychiatry or old-age psychiatry. So patients with memory disorders might present to psychiatry or they might present to neurology. In neurology, usually we see young Patients more often than they would in psychiatry, Uh, and also we might see people with a more varied range of neurological or cognitive symptoms involving language and visuospatial disturbance, not just impaired memory for events, not just in people aged 60 or 70 or 80 and over. So that's the general picture. Um, I think the single most um, efficient way of making decisions in a cognitive clinic is to know who's turned up. So if you've got a patient presenting with ongoing, not paroxysmal, um, cognitive symptoms, and they've turned up, especially if it's a regional clinic rather than a clinic in their local hospital if someone's turned up to a regional cognitive clinic on their own that's that's actually a very good cognitive assessment uh, at least for certain bits of the uh, of the cortex so someone who turns up alone I think that's a very reassuring beginning to any cognitive uh, clinic and then of course the inverse of that is the great value in the Cognitive Clinic from getting a collateral history from an informant, preferably someone who lives with with the patient and preferably someone who's been with the patient uh, knowing them for many years, not just for a few months or a, or a year or two.
0: Okay, great. So I'll crack on with the first case. Uh, we've got a 71-year-old right-handed lady who's been referred with concerns about her memory. So this lady attends with her husband. When she's asked directly, she admits that there's a problem with her memory, but then will then turn to her husband for more details. He reports her to be increasingly forgetful over the past three years. Initially, it was that she was forgetting names of friends, now it's names of her grandchildren, and more recently, she's struggling to make simple meals, and she's made errors such as not putting water in the pan with her potatoes. She got nervous when they went to the supermarket the other day and couldn't find the exit, but generally, day to day, she's settled. Uh, unfortunately, this doesn't clear that she's actually stopped some of her past hobbies, such as gardening. Um, her past medical history just includes some gastroesophageal reflux and asthma. And on examination, her neurological examinations at the bedside is normal, but bedside cognitive tests, including a mocker, she wasn't orientated to time or place and struggled with delayed recall. She was also distracted when asked to do certain tasks, such as a clock face. And when asked, she did remember the dates of World War II, but couldn't recall the p- current Prime Minister. So can you make a diagnosis out of the information we've got here, Dr Davies? Um,
1: I think so. Uh, So the the issue here is that this patient is likely to have uh, perhaps the most common neurological diagnosis of all, which is Alzheimer's disease. Uh, So this is obviously a condition which is more common in older age groups, it's somewhat more somewhat more common in women than men, uh, and really if someone has uh, a brain problem, so brain symptoms, for a period of many months, more than a year or two, and they are still alert, um, the likelihood of... That being anything other than neurodegenerative pathology as the cause of that is very low, you know you 're not going to get uh, inflammatory disease in the brain, neoplastic disease, infective disease uh, when the patient is is alert this far down. I think the history interestingly covers the secondary features of Alzheimer's disease more than the primary features. So so the core uh, cognitive syndrome is impairment of memory for events. Uh, And that comes across a little bit in the comment that we heard about preparing meals. So I think uh, losing track of events is something that... Uh, especially for women of a certain age um that really comes to light with preparing i 'm not sure i 'd say simple meals but you know s- standard fare meals, so meat and two veg meals i mean that 's quite a task for keeping track of events you know when you put the veg in which pan and when the Yorkshire pudding might be ready and you know making sure that everything is ready pretty much at the same time that is really an important task of memory for events Uh, and i think you said that she was now even having trouble with uh, simple meals Uh, so so maybe she's she's more advanced than that Uh, but but the core thing of um, having difficulty with memory for events is important to uh, clarify further if possible uh, and the other manifestation of that would be uh, uh repetitiveness so someone who repeats themselves uh more so uh, more more specific if they uh repeat uh stories repeat statements rather than repeating questions which can be a feature of anxiety uh, so someone who repeats themselves within a small within a small number of minutes that's a very uh, clear Uh, Symptom that suggests a memory disorder involving the medial temporal lobe structures such as Alzheimer's disease. But the other two uh, points that were mentioned were impairment of language function and impairment of visuospatial uh, function. So this lady had difficulty with um, finding the way out of a, a store Didn't she that you mentioned? And also, she's had a degree of anomia. So, I'm not sure that we would call this a a, a primary progressive aphasia syndrome, but certainly a degree of impairment with language and also an impairment of uh, visuospatial function is much more common as an accompaniment to the impaired memory in Alzheimer's disease than would be a frontal syndrome with severely impaired behaviour. Sometimes, actually, we say that people with typical Alzheimer's disease have a preserved uh, social facade, so they're able to seem very normal and behave appropriately and actually um, uh, pull the wool over, over over someone's eyes to minimise their symptoms. Uh, so, so all of that is quite strongly suggestive of Alzheimer's disease. It was corroborated, I think, by the Cognitive Examination corroborated to some extent by the negative or normal physical examination Uh, and uh, so the cognitive examination showed uh, impaired verbal recall didn't it I think it was described as uh, her being distractible in the visual task now that may or may not be the case you know of course um, when someone with mild Alzheimer's disease, m- maybe kind of pre-diagnosed state, or maybe even sort of, re- sort of relatively early established or moderate Alzheimer's disease, they might be able to hold their own. But when they're anxious or when perhaps they have an illness on board, they might have a sort of almost delirium-like uh, effect. So distractibility would certainly be seen in that But more generally, for tasks such as drawing a cube or a trails drawing task, it would probably be the impaired planning of Alzheimer's disease rather than true distractibility that might lead to uh, degraded performance in those sorts of tasks.
0: Okay. Okay, great. So are there any investigations you could do to confirm your diagnosis?
1: Well, realistically, the clinical story is by far the most useful however you know if you asked me to say categorically whether or not um, this person could have some tumor maybe um, some meningioma um, compressing the uh, limbic circuits um, in the orbital areas or something like that you know there's there's, there are various structural things that could mimic this so it would be very unusual not to do a CT head scan in in this sort of situation you get more useful information in terms of making a positive diagnosis from an MRI so an MRI scan would show diffuse atrophy perhaps um particularly picking out the parietal lobes and most particularly the medial temporal lobe structures. But um, if you have a a CT head scan which doesn't show anything other than a bit of brain atrophy, then that's probably sufficient. There's a a list of blood tests that we typically undertake, um, B12, folate levels, uh, thyroid function very occasionally tests for rare infections which we needn't go into so that there is a there is a screening a set of blood tests for remediable causes of, of memory impairment a bit like the screening blood tests for remediable causes of peripheral neuropathy so normally you would do those just at the opposite end completely of the of the spectrum uh, in the past few years we've been sometimes doing csf analysis for dementia so you can actually pick up um, tau and a beta levels at a different um different level from normal um in alzheimer brains and that can sometimes be helpful as a as an additional part of the investigation but i think that a long discussion of that is is beyond our scope uh, here
0: Great. And in terms of any treatments or management considerations?
1: Okay, well, uh, the holistic approach is obviously very important. Um, but in terms of specifics, you know, um, the the brain chemical that is most obviously depleted in Alzheimer's disease is acetylcholine. And so there are acetylcholine esterase inhibitor drugs, uh, the most famous of them being donepazil. And these make some difference; they don't uh, modify the disease course really, um, but they they improve uh, cognitive symptoms in the short term. And uh, you know, if you if you continue taking them, then the presumption is that that slight improvement compared to what the cognitive level would have been uh, uh, persists. So, so uh, consideration of donepezil drug treatment, but of course, the the most important thing is is the The holistic aspect, so again with medication, uh, trying to avoid sedating medication, um, judicious use of medication if there are mood symptoms coexisting, uh, trying to avoid medication for thought disorder, paranoia and so on, although occasionally that sort of thing becomes relevant, and then making sure that environment is optimised, safe, but also... um, with appropriate stimulation and activity for someone to undertake.
0: Great, thank you. So I've got the second case here, Uh, a 59-year-old right-handed man has been referred to clinic uh, because of concerns about his behaviour. So he attends with his wife and the history from the wife suggests that he's uh, become a different person over the last two years or so. He himself can't see any cause for concern and says things are fine. His wife reports he's increasingly rude and causing fallouts with friends that he's not obsessed about. He works as a farmer and is still able to work but has become fixated on new machinery and is buying new tractors even though they can't afford them and don't need them. He's never liked desserts before but he's taken to eating two tubs of ice cream a day. Uh, He's bitten well apart from a fractured ankle needing fixation in his 20s. He's never smoked and uh, rarely has alcohol. His examination, again, his physical examination was pretty unremarkable, but actually when you tested for them, the palmar mental reflex and grasp reflexes were positive bilaterally. Okay. Doing some cognitive assessments at the bedside, he's again unconcerned and unengaged in the entire consultation really, but he has had some strange behavior like picking up the dictaphone from the table and um, doing his own little dictation on it. Uh, but actually when you did the mocker, everything was intact and he scored well. Okay. So this man's memory is intact on his bedside assessments. Does this mean it's unlikely that he has a dementia-like process going on?
1: Uh, Okay, so obviously memory is only one domain of cognition. It's perhaps overrepresented in our thoughts because it is the signature uh, domain of impairment in the commonest of the neurodegenerative dementias, namely Alzheimer's disease. But of course Alzheimer's disease is not the only neurodegenerative disease that's parkinson's disease and a range of other things but there are other primary dementias other than alzheimer's disease where cognitive and or behavioral features in the absence of motor problems uh feature so in this case uh, rather than the medial temporal lobes and perhaps the parietal lobes which are the focus of alzheimer's disease obviously we're talking about someone who has uh Problems. someone who uh, has abnormality of the output functions of the brain and those localised to the anterior parts of the brain, the, the anterior temporal lobe to a certain uh, degree, including the amygdala, but particularly the, uh, the premotor and, and the prefrontal, the far frontal parts of the frontal lobe. Um, so you mentioned the palmar and the grasp reflex there. So these are primitive reflexes. So they they are uh, they become abnormal when there's a bilateral uh, prefrontal lesion. Uh, and uh, in fact, they're present before those bits of the brain become fully myelinated in young children as well. Uh, but um, uh, in this case, the likelihood, of course, is, is a, a degenerative process rather than a developmental one. Um, I think this is a case where the collateral history is crucial, but also the holistic assessment is crucial. Uh, so that means that you're um, noticing the patient as a whole, you know, is it is it categorically abnormal for someone to pick up your dictaphone well perhaps it isn't and yet if you think of the number of consultations you've been in and the number of times that has happened you know it may actually be a more salient observation than you know a highly abnormal sodium level or something okay so that's holistic assessment of the patient listening to uh, what the collateral informant is saying knowing to a certain extent what to ask about so food um, food preference um, eating in a slovenly way by comparison to one's previous approach to table manners those things are um, quite specific the further account of saying embarrassing and cruel things if you're taking them holistically they can be very relevant mm-hmm. you've got to be a little bit more careful with just an account of those very socially oriented uh, problems i mean they they, they can be very clear evidence of brain disease but um there are more reasons than neurology for saying unpleasant things and having unpleasant interactions with your spouse so um you know take heed of those especially if the picture as a whole is tending to make sense but Be careful, as well as taking care not to miss a diagnosis of frontal dementia, because they can be subtle. Be a little bit careful not to push too much for the diagnosis when it isn't there. And I would say uh, that you commented on the uh, cognitive testing, and it was pretty unremarkable, wasn't it? Mm. And in general, the standard sort of tests of memory of language, of visuospatial function, people with frontal dementia can perform impeccably on those tests. They may have problems with language function, they may have problems with planning, um, but as a rule, very difficult to interpret standard cognitive tests uh, in what is largely more of a behavioural than a cognitive syndrome as such in frontal dementia. Mm.
0: Okay. So we've talked about the clinical features and the anatomy of, of this form of dementia. Are there any pathological features that are relevant? Okay, yeah.
1: So this is, in terms of ep- eponyms, you know, this is the group that was first described by Dr. Pick. So this is the, the group that might be called Pick's disease or Pick's diseases, And I say diseases because there's a there's a grouping of all fairly rare um, types of neurodegeneration. So Alzheimer's disease is sort of pretty much one type of uh, histopathology uh, as described by Alzheimer. Uh, But in Pick's diseases, um, you have three or four different subtypes and. We sometimes call them "bits diseases." We can sometimes name them after the one protein that might be abnormal. So one of those proteins is the tau protein, which also features in Alzheimer's disease. Uh, another is uh, the so-called TDP forty-three protein. Okay, so we can name them after those. Um, but we also sometimes lump these together as the frontotemporal dementias because of their predilection for anterior brain structures in the frontal lobe and the anterior temporal lobe. And actually scanning is a little bit more useful in this group of patients than in Alzheimer's disease because the thinning of the gyri, the atrophy of the brain, is usually Um, much more obvious and actually more distinctive in its distribution, so it can be quite patchy, so just the frontal lobe being affected rather than the brain as a whole showing a bit of thinning as might occur with Alzheimer's disease. So um, scanning is actually a bit more helpful in frontotemporal dementia and, of course, as with Alzheimer's disease, a scan is useful to reassure us that someone doesn't have... A big meningioma or some some other unusual structural pathology
0: so the third case we have is a 62 year old right-handed woman who's actually attended clinic alone today and um, she's wor- worried about her memory and says that her concerns began around 12 months ago she finds herself forgetting things when she's at the shop she can forget people's names and she can forget previous conversations she's had She volunteers in a charity shop and there's been no concerns raised at work but she's finding things more effortful and worries about forgetting things at work. Uh, She relays that her daughter is also worried about some memory lapses but there's been no concerns about any behaviour changes. Uh, Her past medical history includes chronic back pain and she's been taking amitripsine and, and gabapentin for a number of years having been prescribed by her local pain clinic. She lives with her husband and is a smoker uh, but is otherwise relatively well. Uh, her physical examination is normal, but her bedside cognitive test, she's dropped some points on her mocker, with errors on drawing a trail, delayed recall, and uh, not being quite as good at fl- verbal fluency as we'd expect. What would you think the diagnosis would be here?
1: Okay, so when we started talking, I, I s- mentioned the value of the cognitive test that happens... Uh, before the patient arrives, Uh, that is the the cognitive test of of getting to the regional hospital clinic. Um, So so this lady has uh, succeeded in passing that test uh, on her own, hasn't she? And that's very reassuring. There's the other reassuring point, which is that uh, the family have not been sufficiently concerned that she couldn't express the problem herself. So one of the issues, of course, with actual dementia is that people's ability to monitor their failures uh, and even to have insight uh, in patients with frontal dementia, for instance, of any kind, um, that can be impaired. So for both reasons, the fact that she's, she's got here on her own and the fact that no one has come with her that's reassuring also when you talk about uh, her story we don't really get a clear progression we don't get a progression that this lady uh, was noticed to have mild memory problems 12 or 18 months ago these were more obvious six months ago they're much more obvious by now so 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 that progression which is useful um, is is not present also the lapses are um, the sorts of lapses that might occur uh, when a person is distractible or anxious or demotivated for whatever reason perhaps because they've got too much on their plate uh, so, so the, the quality uh, the nature of the memory impairments aren't you know, that's not ringing alarm bells for me. The fact that she's managing to uh, keep up this volunteer activity without um, causing great problems in the in the charity shop, again, that's reassuring. The fact that she's got uh, a past history of, of chronic pain and, and the fact that she's been on medication, which have effects to reduce the efficiency of cognition, particularly drugs with anticholinergic, like um, amitriptyline. So that, that, again, is um, circumstantial evidence. It's a therapeutic target as well. So, so one point that you could make is uh, that removing the amitriptyline from the prescription might actually improve her memory got to be a little bit careful about going wholesale into that because you don't want anyone to be in a heap because of severe pain because of removing amitriptyline too quickly but I think it's worth mentioning not least because there's some evidence that uh, dementia is a bit more common when people have been taking drugs like amitriptyline in the long term Um, and then finally the cognitive scores well you know nobody's perfect you know most people with high educational attainment would be expected to get everything right on a relatively simple test like the mocker but you know we all have glitches and you know coming up with say 9 or 10 words in the fluency task rather than 11 or 12 that's obviously not a sufficient difference to be diagnostic of any of anything um, and um, so so I think in this case, I couldn't make a comment that this lady isn't ever going to have Alzheimer's disease or a memory problem, clearly. Um, but there's certainly not sufficient evidence to invoke any memory diagnosis here. Um, and I think clinically I would consider doing... A CT scan or even an MRI scan um, at least unless there were major logistical challenges to that but probably the single most important diagnostic manoeuvre here is the passage of time and again depending on the logistics you might defer to the GP and you know suggest that the GP sees the patient in 6 months or 12 and refers back if there's any concern or if you're just a little bit more concerned or if the patient is particularly preoccupied, again, not unreasonable to suggest that the person returns to clinic in six months. But very important if you do that to recommend very strongly at this juncture, but also in sending out the appointment in six months time, that they bring along an informant with them at that point so that you can get some triangulation on the on the story.
0: Okay, great. And we've just got one more case then here, if that's okay. Sure. A 73-year-old right-handed lady, she attends with her husband who gives most of the history. She worked as a cleaner up until two years ago when she fell and broke her wrist, and she's been falling more frequently since then. She was given some RMR when she broke her wrist and had, and complained of hallucinations when she took that, but since then she's been seeing people in the house that aren't there and at one point she called the police concerned about some intruders. Some days she almost seems her usual self but other days she can be very confused and forgetful and this seems to be getting worse over time. Uh, When you asked about sleep her husband said he couldn't comment because five years ago he moved into a different bedroom to sleep because she suddenly started shouting and hitting out in her sleep which was quite unlike her from before. She um, has a bit of past medical history, including high blood pressure and high cholesterol, for which she takes a few medications, but otherwise she's been fit and well and had to give up work just two years ago after breaking her wrist. On her examination, her physical examination did have some findings in that she had evidence of bradykinesia bilaterally and her tone seemed to be increased uh, symmetrically in her upper limbs. Her physical examination was otherwise normal, but when you did the bedside cognitive test, she dropped scores on her mocker for the first few questions involving visuospatial input, so drawing a trail, drawing the cube and the clock face, and she also struggled with delayed recall. So what features here allow you to make a diagnosis? OK,
1: so in broad terms, the age group and uh, the fact that the husband, uh, the, the spouse is there... Um, Giving collateral information, uh, all of that suggests that this is a dementia and neurodegenerative disease rather than uh, an instance of what, for for want of a better expression, we might call functional cognitive disorder. So, so I think this is a dementia process. You mentioned impaired verbal recall in the cognitive scores there, and uh, of course that brings to mind an Alzheimer process involving the medial temporal lobe, but it's not something that's exclusively seen in Alzheimer's disease, and on the MOCA, for instance, the verbal recall test is probably the most difficult bit in general. So um, you, you will have, on, on, a, on a simple cognitive test like the MOCA, by comparison to very complex cognitive tests that neuropsychologists might do, um, you know you have a range of difficulty. So, so I think you shouldn't be distracted to diagnosing Alzheimer's disease just because of the impaired verbal recall there. In this case, of course, there's a good handful of rather specific clues to um, the second commonest neurodegenerative dementia uh, after Alzheimer's disease Uh, and and of course that's uh, Lewy body disease so pathologically uh, related closely to Parkinson's disease and with some clinical similarities as well so you mentioned the bradykinesia Uh, you mentioned the sleep disorder so that sounds very much like what we call REM sleep behaviour disorder and it's a consequence of the brain's inability to keep the body paralysed when the patient is dreaming uh, and and people act out their dreams and it, it, it can occur as an idiopathic isolated thing uh, but it certainly also occurs as a prodrome so something that happens several years before the diagnosis itself in the case of Uh, Parkinson's disease but particularly in the case of this condition, uh, diffuse Lewy body disease or dementia with Lewy bodies. Some of the other features that you mentioned were general impairment with visuospatial function, the occurrence of visual hallucinations especially of figures, people or animals, you mentioned that she called out the police and that's a that's a that's a funny phenomenon called uh, an extra campine delusion so so that's a, an abnormal belief rather than a a sensory uh, disturbance, as would be the case with hallucination and it's a sort of an unshakable a delusional belief that there's someone just outside one's own field of awareness so camp comes from the comes from the Latin, similar to the French word for, the, for a field, uh, like a campus, uh, and so an extra campine delusion that's the, a sense that someone has uh, that someone is just there outside their field of awareness, and it, and it leads people to thinking that there might be intruders in the house. Uh, so so that's, that's quite a distinctive feature uh, of, of uh, this condition, uh, as is um, fluctuation, so having some really good days. Uh, And some bad days, and actually, particular vulnerability to lapsing into delirium with other illnesses or with injudicious uh, use of medication. Um, So, I don't want to try and make all of this too neat because, undoubtedly, the brain chemistry and the brain anatomy in, in, in this condition is pretty complicated. But if you like um, you know the motor syndrome of Parkinson's disease, bradykinesia, hesitancy, you know you can see that the mind itself and also the sensory processes can have hiccups leading to extracampine delusions, uh, fluctuation, and hallucinations. And, and there's some kind of analogy between those cognitive and sensory features. With the motor features of Parkinson's disease, and and maybe that that helps someone to sort of keep in mind that these conditions, these these uh, features can go together in this condition that of Lewy body dementia.
0: Okay, and in terms of any further investigations, is there anything useful?
1: Well, again, uh, it depends on the uh, on the tempo. Sometimes, actually, Lewy body dementia. Uh, if someone has a has a particularly dramatic fluctuation near the presentation, sometimes they can be mistaken for an acute delirium or a subacute uh, cognitive syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's much more likely, and therefore people are much more likely to end up needing to have you know the whole lot of brain scans, CSF analysis, EEG, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. So so people with um, Lewy body disease I think a little bit more likely to need uh, lots of investigations than say Alzheimer's disease or or, uh, Mm. a a, a standard frontal dementia and then the other interesting thing is uh, the the chemistry of this condition Um, so uh, if you've got someone with Lewy body disease suspected then you might have the opportunity to do a particular type of brain scan, the DAT scan, so the dopamine transporter scan, and this looks for dopamine function. Now, the sensitivity in Lewy body dementia is not as high as in idiopathic Parkinson's disease itself, but an abnormal DAT scan, uh, in a case where you're worried about dementia with Lewy bodies, but you don't want to diagnose it uh, outright because of certain doubts, then a, then a DAT scan can be helpful. Mm-hmm. Also, these patients uh, can benefit in terms of their impaired motor function that goes along with the cognition by giving dopaminergic medication. But actually, dopamine agonist medication, sometimes used in Parkinson's disease, very likely to cause impaired cognition. Although uh, L-dopa based medication. Not so likely to cause deteriorated uh, deterioration in cognition. Final thought is that actually, acetylcholine chemistry is highly abnormal in this group of patients, as happens to be the case in Alzheimer's disease. So actually, that group of acetylcholine esterase inhibitor drugs, including donepezil, are actually particularly useful and particularly beneficial for patients with uh, Lewy body dementia. <laughs> If you enjoyed listening to this episode look out for more podcast episodes coming out shortly